melting butter. Hello. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to a recording of Melton Potter. Yes, uh, it's been a while. We've had some slight scheduling issues. It's summer and everyone is leaving. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we're just gonna gloss over that now and go straight to the summary brought to you by Andrea for the first time in a Yay. while. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> um, on a store hopping shopping spree, Children start hide-and-seek games, and adults pose for popularity or get into fistfights over mutual feelings of contempt. With no actual adult in the picture to keep everyone grounded, it's all riveting. <laughs> just, just, that, 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 that dead riveting, like, really, really setting in the, the yeah. emotion in this chapter, like, it's all riveting. Okay. It's sending everyone railing. <laughs> railing would have been another option. I have to say I admired Hagrid in this chapter. Like he's one of the, the most s- adult the of, most, of, of all yeah, of the one adults. of the most re- responsible adults there. <laughs> and I never thought I'd hear that about Hagrid, so Yeah. <laughs> like he breaks up a fight between two of the more I guess Responsible adults, <laughs> the debatably responsible, but yes. I mean, Arthur is. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I was thinking about Lucius, but okay, Arthur, Arthur is not that responsible. But uh, come on, Lucius. <laughs> He's uh, respectable. He's yes. usually respectable. Yes, this should be hint enough for anyone that you know he wouldn't get. Physical. I mean, he didn't actually. Arthur just jumped him. He he literally just jumped him. He didn't actually. <laughs> do anything <laughs> also like who jumps people in the wizarding world like why not you just, have a wand you have a wand yeah, yeah and you well, can Arthur ever the darling muggle anthropologist that yeah. he is he wants to get down in dirty muggle style you maybe know? he was he testing his, uh, he was yeah. just looking for an opportunity mm. to fist fight somebody yeah. oh I want to show off masculinity <laughs> showing off in front of the Grangers that he can also fight yeah. like a muggle yeah maybe he he wanted to make a good impression for the Grangers <laughs> because he heard that in the muggle world that's how adult men settle their issues with one another. I think maybe we should have uh, looked at the Grangers' point of view as well because now that I think about it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is worthy. interesting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah and uh, just uh, on a side note, maybe this entire ridiculous mayhem. Maybe it sort of happens on a symbolic level because Mrs. Weasley, who is the ultimate adult generally, <laughs> is not really adulting at the moment, but she's so busy fangirling over Gilderoy. <laughs> just, just the idea of this makes me mad. <laughs> the fact that the woman is the, is the responsible only one who, for yeah. how people behave. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know. I think we could cut Molly some slack, especially after all the discussion we had in the last chapter. I mean... Yeah. Molly is... Oh, I'm cutting her a lot of slack. I'm just, uh, you know, noticing how the world fall, falls apart without her is not meant to, to be put a more pressure, yeah. to, to put pressure that she should take care of the world. It's just a bad... She should just let it burn. Yeah, it's just a bad uh, impression I have of the rest of the mm. people that they can't really adult by themselves. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, the, the, and yeah. what, uh, what you mentioned about the fact that she's fangirling, and we'll talk about this later on. <laughs> she is. But this is another problem I have with yeah, this chapter. So it's not just the fact that uh, Mrs. Weasley is the only responsible adult and without her everything falls apart, but they also choose to go the opposite way and just put her in this A bit ridiculous of, position. Yeah. 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 Oh, Maybe it's meant to be, you know, humanizing, like... A little floor and endearing little details. Like, like she's so perfect otherwise that she... she like, hey, every stay-at-home uh, mom or wife has uh, the right to indulge in uh, her uh, favorite celebrity fan 
clubbing. I don't know. Like, I mean, we have the context now, but we have to remember that few people at this point in the Wizarding World knew that Gilderoy Lockhart was such a hack. <laughs> like, yeah, but it's not even that. It's people the fact that were believing him. Uh, even if we disregard that, um, even if you all the of the girls, deal. even yeah. Hermione, and I'm so disappointed. I know. I know I shouldn't be, uh, but I'm still kind of disappointed. She's very young at this stage. I'm I'm sure her critical sense will kick in later but on, and like if she were older, this wouldn't happen. Yeah. Mrs. Weasley is older, but she's of a different generation, and I think, I think this is actually it serves to to make real world. Um, women who have this sort of crush on a celebrity to make them seem a bit more palatable to mm. us because if Mrs. Weasley who is generally a strong female role model, model and we like her and whatnot, if even she has uh, these little yeah. sympathies then maybe we should cut the slack to all the um, housewives or I'm, I'm being heavily prejudiced here maybe they're not just housewives you know what I mean the sort yeah, yeah, of yeah. women who do but this. what is it about I mean I know he's described to be handsome first of all but this this only happens to all of the women with uh, with him uh, th this yes. behavior is not and I I can't believe that he's the only handsome Guy no, no, ever. It's, it's not it, the handsomeness. It's also his manner speaking. The charm. But the charm is the not. Uh, like, raise your hand if you think that he's charming. I, I, I do not. I, no. He's not at all charming. He's just. Yes. He's, you can you can tell he's obnoxious from the first moment you see him. I don't understand where where. Well, the we can charm. tell he's obnoxious from the first moment, and but maybe why? like his projecting of confidence. Uh, also coming from some sort of perceived experience that people know from his books makes him seem charming also if i, mean, I charming is yeah. very a very subjective concept yeah definitely a lot of us probably don't find gilderoy lockhart charming but maybe somebody who would be molly's age at that point who has suffered through a war and who knows of all gilderoy all of gilderoy's tales through his uh, romanticized novels mm. yeah. and exaggerated novels obviously would probably see Gilderoy as someone genuinely charming as opposed to just cringeworthy charming yeah, yeah, also point. social pressure if everyone else loves him <laughs> yeah uh, also uh, I think uh, if I look at real life examples of similar phenomena I think it's it's also a generational thing which we can't really understand. Okay, Hermione and Ginny also feel the pull yeah. of Gilderoy. I mean, and Ginny is so she's so young. But only, but he mostly appeals to you know, which is his age, like Molly's generation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. this is usually when it happens, it's in relation to how their husbands are on average, you know, like their own men, because. I, I remember um, a conversation I had with my mom distinctly about something like this. I had watched um, the movie Casablanca mm. for several times, on several occasions, and I just didn't understand what the f*** is so charming <laughs> about uh, um, Humphrey Bogart's persona mm. and about uh, that, that really cheesy and lame excuse uh, of a line with the uh, we'll always have Paris. I just thought it's like such a lame way to break up with someone and where why were women sighing over this, you know? Yeah. And my mom, which didn't really feel the pull of this movie and of this actor either, this is something experienced mostly by her mother's generation. <laughs> but she explained it to me like that because like you wouldn't understand, you couldn't understand mm. it right now because the young men in your generation are already soft-spoken and, you know... Uh -huh, okay, okay. Yeah, but uh, to the, um, the general women and housewives of the 50s who were used to brutish husbands, even though um, Humphrey Bogart's uh, character ultimately just unceremoniously dumps uh, uh, his lover with a very very lame excuse will always and consolation will always have Paris 
just the fact that he could imagine something so um, sensitive and abstract is um, enough to be impressive and mm. to allow the ladies to forgive him that. Which, indeed, in our generation, maybe we wouldn't do or couldn't fathom. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. And I think it's the same with um, Molly's uh, pull over Gilderoy. <laughs> and, and maybe the, to uh, show a little bit of dissatisfaction. Yeah, uh, he has a way of talking to the ladies which is not practiced and cultivated by Arthur or his mm, colleagues. Exactly, you know? yeah. Because they don't care, and mm. nor should they, <laughs> because they're more genuine human beings, probably. Mm. Yeah. But it's something which maybe just maybe every witch around Hogwarts has felt at some point that why yeah. can't uh, my own uh, husband yeah, partner, be... uh, know how to talk or something mm. like that. I don't know. No, I it understand. Sense, yeah. uh, now I understand how Molly is so embarrassed when the two men start fighting. <laughs> the... Because they're embarrassing her. Yeah, in front they're of embarrassing Gilderoy. her in front exactly. of Gilderoy. Yeah. Who'd never uh, <laughs> to, all this to level. such levels. Yeah. And and the younger girls they they feel this just because it's peer pressure and they don't have any yeah, other young, models young. yet yeah. yeah yeah that this makes a lot of sense just like I liked Michael Jackson when I was really really little because my older cousin did mm. hmm. she was a teenager and I was like first grade <laughs> I didn't have any uh, landmarks of my yeah. own yet yeah and basically I guess that happens a lot with everyone so it's understandable and it, it's also the fact that maybe this is she, she needs a little a little thrill in her life molly and <laughs> this is where she gets it from basically yeah because her life is sad so, i mean she loves her I life mean, sad if she, I, I so and sad. i mean when uh, they get their letters from hogwarts and it turns out that everybody needs to have gilderoy's books Mm -hmm. All of his books mm. are required reading, and uh, they're like, "Oh, but they're expensive." And Molly's like, "Yeah, we'll manage." We'll manage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Okay. But you know who else is charming? Jason Isaacs. Oh yeah, he is definitely <laughs> smooth, very smooth. <laughs> Speaking of which, we will now pass to a POV retelling of this entire chapter through Lucius's eyes. Please don't cringe too much. <laughs> Are you gonna do a a voice? I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> memorabilia I should get out of my house while the storm passes. I'll sell them to Borgen, but I have to confess I'm doing it with a heavy heart. I'm sure when all this nonsense blows over, I can just sit out and buy it all back. But who knows where I can find it all, and when that will be. <laughs> and they call themselves wizards scholars of magic and they would destroy forbidden sources of magic and knowledge. Gods forbid we may learn something outside the norm or whatever shines out of Dumbledore's behind. How can the ministry be so ignorant as to deliberately destroy magical objects and books? Are they mad? At least in this, our old master was right even if it didn't serve him well in the end. They really are all a bunch of small-minded hypocrites. Now that that's taken care of, I have to deal with the Weasley girl and the book have to be smart about it, but I'm sure it will be easy enough. After all, we're dealing with the Weasleys. I'm not even nervous. That's the thing. It's not enough that they're so stupid, but they can't fathom that I could be otherwise. 
so they're so eager to just believe I, the ever-elegant, elusive Lucius Malfoy, would stoop so low as to roll in the mud with them. <laughs> they're ready to think I would willingly get into a fight with that functional idiot, Arthur Weasley. That's how highly they think of themselves and how much they underestimate me. Ah, but what short-sightedness is exactly why they are how they are and why I shall succeed. So let them think I have nothing better to do than to get into a fight with the blubbering idiot. As if we're peers. Meanwhile, the Dark Lord's book shall find its way to the target. Undetected. Okay, so this point of view made me think if there's one thing that Lucius and Dumbledore can agree on, it's probably this. Because I'm thinking that, uh, you're right, the Ministry, they think that the, the, the best course of action is to just get rid of anything that could have any semblance of dark magic, like objects or anything, or books or... Uh, and um, I, this made me think of uh, how Dumbledore took uh, from the Forbidden uh, section of the library uh, the book about Horcruxes, but he didn't destroy it. He kept it in his office, because I think that he has the same view on dark magic and dark objects that Lucius has, Yes. that it's they stupid. shouldn't be, yeah. it, exactly, it's stupid to, to destroy them, I mean, they shouldn't be destroyed, yeah, they should be kept under supervision, that's true, because yeah. that's why he took the book and put yeah. it in his office, but uh, I mean, yeah, this makes me think that put they them have... in the museum, you know, like as yeah. an anthropologist, exactly. I'm cringing. It, 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 it is, yeah. I think they would agree on this. Yes. And also we have to think about the Deathly Hallows, I mm. mean... Arguably, the Deathly Hallows, maybe not the cloak, but the Deathly Hallows, the, the remaining two, are Dark way ish. more <laughs> powerful, are more powerful, in some cases way more powerful, than anything you could find in places like Borging and Burks and stuff like that. Yes, it's uh, this whole strategy of the Ministry reeks of Dolores. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. why, what need do little kids like you have of knowing how dark magic actually works or how to counter but it? Actually, no, no, no. No, actually the, the raids are a product of the... Of Arthur. Of Arthur's law that prevents uh, muggle uh, artifacts from being bewitched. And we know for a fact that most of the dark magic artifacts are... Arguably muggle objects? Like... Yeah, I, I don't know. I... It's debatable, but an, a notebook is both a wizarding object as a, yeah. and a muggle object. And I think the law is... Uh, maybe Arthur has written it in such a way that not only can he escape through loopholes, but he can also catch Lucius through the same loopholes. Yes, and this whole uh, ministry raiding for for objects, especially in the houses of former um, former uh, followers of the Dark Lord, it it just resembles so much and gives me exactly the same kind of mixed feelings as uh, I don't know post war Germany, post World War Two Germany, yeah. who is raiding homes maybe uh, just i'm imagining I don't, I don't think this happened uh raiding homes and giving fines to nostalgic grandmas who kept their uh, hmm. nazi flags That's of course uh, it's wrong of the grandmas but but how yeah. is finding them and vilifying them and raiding their making homes making it better it just confirms their bias that this new government with their uh political correctness police is just, you know what I mean? Yeah. Antagonizing yeah. them. Yes. And maybe, you know, as long as everyone knows what those artifacts mean and that they are remnants of a wrong era, you shouldn't uh, I, but I forbid people to own it. I think the problem here is that they don't think they're, they're just remnants of a past era. They, they think that, I mean, they're doing this, I'm imagining, because... 
they think, they think that they can use yeah they can be used again yeah but yeah. i think they would also find someone or get them in trouble with a ding family which just has mm-hmm. uh, as lucius called it memorabilia you know because yeah. hmm. it's just a reminder of their and of course if you if you are attached to these objects and if you keep them in your house, of course you are basically a white supremacist. <laughs> and it's just the panic. The, the ministry is just I panicking know. and trying to... I know, but when did panic ever lead to something good? I mean, mm. this uh, really is reminding me of something that happens quite often when there's a regime change in a lot of history. Uh, We've seen this in Romania, and this is a way in which opposition, government, typically vilifies the ruling parties. And uh, right here now we have the corruption scandal in Romania, and people are... Uh, the the people that are being sent to jail are having their homes raided and their possessions being took over by the state, and these people are part of a, the socialist party, which was made out of the remnants of the communist party, the communists who themselves were raiding and uh, throwing people in jail. So it's just a cycle. Yeah. So. I'm thinking that this also happens in uh, to a broader sense in the U.S., where Confederate monuments are being torn down and Confederate symbols are being replaced mm-hmm. and either put in museums or destroyed. And this also happened in Harry Potter, when yes. we see... Yeah, and right the statue now. at the ministry, you know? Yeah, Remember? the statue the, at the ministry the keeps changing, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I think... Uh, to reflect uh, the new regime. It's all about the, the perspective you have on things, because, of course, the uh, Confederate monuments being destroyed is not the same thing <laughs> with what they're doing here. I mean, yeah. it's one thing to yeah. destroy uh, the symbol uh, the, the symbol of something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's another thing to how we, uh, let's say we have the uh, dark magic books, the, the same uh, kind of books that are in Hogwarts as well. Yeah. Uh, it's all about the, the perspective you have on things because I, I can understand the perspective of some people that would, would just want them destroyed just because they're panicked and they, they, they don't want anyone to ever read this again. Yeah. Yeah. But I can also understand and I sympathize more with this, the other perspective, the one that I imagine Dumbledore has because I love Dumbledore and I'm, I'm just imagining how he's very fascinated by, by these dark objects yeah. and he would want to preserve yeah. them. Yeah. And it's this trying to destroy these dark objects is basically trying to assassinate assassinate a thought and that's always going to end in that thought gaining some sort of a martyrdom. And exactly. destroying things like destroying if 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 they would want to destroy everything let's say just no no trace that this ever happened this is a very nice um, uh, excuse for the people who want to deny like and say this never happened because where where's the proof and this is also the case uh, yeah. with uh, with um, uh, what happened in germany yeah. uh, the fact that there are a lot of people who deny that the holocaust ever happened and this is uh, part of the reasons why we must make sure that not everything disappears because if everything disappears then people can easily say oh where's the proof that this happened also imagine like maybe there were followers former followers of Voldemort who are now on the fence they don't know what to think they Mm -hmm. don't know if they side with the new regime they sort of regret the crimes which were done maybe they weren't partial to all of them, maybe they regret something they've done, whatever, they're on the fence about their allegiance right now. And let's suppose that uh, Sirius Black's mom is still alive, she's not just a painting in Grimwald's place. And let's assume that the ministry is raiding her home and confiscating all of those dark objects and vilifying someone who is essentially a crazy old lady who will never understand why she's 
very wrong on very mm. different levels. And those people who are on the fence are just going to see how a former respected yeah. acquaintance of theirs is being dragged through the mud yeah. by the thought police. Yeah. Mm. And I think this is something which happens today in many places of, uh, you know, the Confederate South where we have these nostalgic grandmas who are maybe... And grandpas. And grandpas who are preserving some form of tradition in socially acceptable ways, but with those flags and with, I mean, they just... They're just in it for the balls and the, yeah. the fruit well, punches, yeah. but yeah. This sort of narrative and this sort of police, so to speak, that tears down uh, monuments will always feed into how uh, people perceive their uh, version of reality to be persecuted. Yeah. Yes. And give them no reason to feel persecuted yeah. because they will use it, yeah. basically. And uh, unfortunately, history leaves not, doesn't leave that much uh, to nuance. And these people know that. These people know that if somebody comes and deems everything that they thought of as uh, some sort of legacy of their history, of, of their family, if these people come and tear down everything, then automatically their whole legacy will be labeled as bad. Yes, but and they the don't time, want to see that. I know, and they will resist, but at the same time, maybe, you know, sometimes so a bit of shaming is necessary. Just so oh, I, I'm not so saying it's not necessary. So is not possible. Like, speaking of the case of Nazi Germany, um, there was this thing, I saw it circulating uh, these days, especially in the light of the murders which uh, are gripping public opinion in Romania right now. Yeah. Um, this picture circulated, I'm sure you've seen it, with uh, the American soldiers after liberating um, some of the Nazi camps mm -hmm. who were semi-dragging, I mean politely dragging, but still dragging the German civilians who lived close by, a few kilometers away. They were dragging them through the camps before cleaning up anything, like mm -hmm. here look at this so you can't claim that it didn't happen or that you didn't know or that look at yeah, the corpses yeah how can you you know yeah let no one claim that mm. it wasn't so bad where mm. and still people do and done. yeah and still people do and that's yeah and this is not um, i mean if even if those people saw the bodies once the bodies are disposed of, as they do you can no longer you don't have that but proof we have pictures and exactly that's why you you need to keep things yeah, yeah but it's really hard for people to to acknowledge that my grandpa was evil my dad yeah, was I mean, evil well that's why we need to keep a memory uh, a log and a memory of nuance i think mm -hmm. we have to yeah. we have to make room in our history books for the nuance that was in these world wars yes, and maybe that's exactly what should happen in uh, the wizarding world the, i have a hard yeah. time thinking that uh, the future history books will mention that the malfoys did not ultimately fight alongside voldemort in the battle of hogwarts even though they were his followers i'm yes. pretty sure it will they, be glossed over in the in the history yeah. books because they don't have maybe a footnote to spare for that yeah i think the point of uh, all history books so they can you know prevent this type of shaming uh, causing um, a resurgence of that movement the point of any history book and which also harry potter's universe manages to accomplish is to show you how everyday ordinary people can become complicit in an evil regime step by step yeah. Yeah. and just because you participated doesn't mean okay that you're evil and you must be vilified but the system is perverse this yeah, is how it plus, works this is yeah. why you must be aware of it and, and plus a lot of people didn't have a choice yeah, yeah. a lot of people were drawn into the idea because they they the ideas fed into some sort of preconceived notions that they have 
tad. And um, and I actually have a problem with with the fact that um, I think it was Lupin or Sirius when they were talking to Pettigrew and uh, Pettigrew said that I had no choice but to betray Lillian James. They go up on their high horse saying that they would have died. And I think this is not fair. It's, it's not fair because yes. the fact that you would would have done that doesn't mean that everybody who who does who made a choice should be, yeah. Yeah, should yeah. Be, we shouldn't shame people that are too afraid to do exactly, exactly. As long as they don't participate enthusiastically yeah. going mm. above and beyond, you know. And ultimately <laughs> Harry forgives him. And yeah, that will exactly. count for everything in the end. And that's exactly what Dumbledore says that because yeah. I, uh, I I have to applaud Harry for being uh, a better person forgive. than than yeah. uh, Sirius and Lupin in that particular moment. Yeah, I I couldn't forgive Peter Pettigrew if I were him either. I mean, not that I would want him dead and executed. Mm. I would want him, you know, dealt with by the ministry, not by us as executioners. But, I mean, but at, I this point, like, at this point, you shouldn't trust him. the ministry to but do that's, anything. That's also what Harry would have wanted, but it yes. doesn't happen like that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So maybe let's move on to some <laughs> questions. Yeah. Okay, so I only have a couple of questions because I feel that we already went through the major stuff we wanted to raise on this chapter. Um, this struck me as odd. Why is Harry hiding in a closet right away after seeing the Malfoys enter the shop before any hint of illegal activity? Isn't this an exaggerated reaction? It's almost as if he wanted to spy on them, which isn't very nice. Could he really pretend he's afraid of a school calling in his father, even if they're, you know, unpalatable? Like, he's in the middle of London's wizarding area, and with his friends bound to catch up with him any minute? I mean, even if he went to, to the wrong place, he still knows he's there, and so far, the Malfoys, I mean, Lucius didn't really do anything dangerous, dangerous mm -hmm. to him, like in the later books. I mean, I think this is a bit exaggerated. Oh my god, I'm gonna go hide in the closet. Yeah, it is a big exaggerated. Yeah. I, I think it's just maybe Harry absolutely not wanting to have a conversation with Malfoy, with Draco, basically. I mean, that's a good possibility. Just being yeah, like... Yeah, but still, you know... And, and, and it's... But we are by doing to... this, he just uh, complicates things. I mean, potentially complicates things, because... If uh, they were Caught. to find him there, yeah. it, would be, it would be much more awkward. awkward. And not only awkward, but they, he would have to explain why, he, why he's there and why he decided to hide in the closet. And yeah. it would just be yeah. unnecessarily uh, complicated. I mean, the, having to go through the displeasure of saying uh, hello and good day to someone you don't really like should be something you are equipped to deal with, even at the... But we know that Young Harry... Young age of uh, 12 or whatever. Harry uh, has exaggerated these feelings towards Malfoy from the very beginning. I think we yeah. discussed this in the previous book as well. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it, come on, Harry. <laughs> yeah. Get the grip. Is it meant to be a, you know, sort of preternatural intuition of Harry's regarding Lucius? Well, least? he has had some sort of... And intuition. But Some of them very at wrong. This, but at, <laughs> at this point, I just think he's creeped out by the eerie aspect of the shop, mm -hmm. and just Malfoy's the Malfoy's turning up suddenly also creep him out even more. And then there's Lucius Malfoy, which who has a very, let's say, intimidating presence. Yeah, he does. That's true. So, I don't think it's too far-fetched. And combine that with the fact that Harry, or anyway, has uh, exaggerated his uh, opinion of Malfoy. I mean... Also, I think we also have to take into account the fact that at that point, Harry has no idea where he is. He does yeah. not know that he's uh, he close by, yeah, close to the... I mean, they could, they could be in... I don't know, somewhere close to Malfoy's house or something like yeah. that. He has no idea where he is. Well, I think he can guess he's not in Antarctica. So. <laughs> well, it's also Harry we're talking about. Yeah. And he has no idea that, uh, that uh, Nocturnally exists. 
so we can't know that he's nearby diagonally and that you know yeah and he doesn't know how the flu network works exactly and Still, he has no reason to <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay, cut okay, him some fine, slack. fine, yeah. cut him some slack. <laughs> As do all characters throughout all the yeah. books ever, yes. Yeah. We're part of the problem. Yeah, <laughs> it's the national sport, sport, cutting Harry Potter some slack. Okay, how are the Grangers allowed to enter the magical side of London? Are all Muggle parents of magical children allowed this to accompany them on their shopping before school? Isn't the secrecy of the wizarding world harder to control like that? Somehow, I, I imagine they don't go through any invasive forgetting treatment afterwards. No, because that would be ridiculous since yes. since they have a daughter who attends yeah, I mean, a, a magical school. They couldn't just not yeah. know about it. Yeah. yeah. And I'm thinking that, yeah, I mean, probably uh, all muggle parents are allowed to do this because otherwise... You, you, you couldn't just send your 11-year-old son or daughter randomly go by themselves, you know? They yeah, have to have some sort of supervision. And it was also be super rude, like the teacher saying, hey, the magical children are going with the, the, the magic... The children who are born from magical parents are going with their parents. Yeah, and but you, can you can't just come. You just sign this over and the teacher will accompany you then. Yeah, no, that's... you're not welcome here. To be Muggles go fair. home. <laughs> I would assume that the ministry does some sort of vetting when they let the muggles into the visiting world. Or some sort of surveillance afterwards to see if they talk to anyone. Like maybe, maybe. a drunk dad will maybe brag about debatable. Child. That's actually about interesting how, how they control this. Yes. Because De even if, say, they wouldn't be allowed in diagonally, again, they would still know that they have family yes. who, who is magical like yes. for for instance uh, petunia and uh, petunia's parents but they're ashamed <laughs> uh, oh no yeah petunia's petunia, parents were proud yeah they were proud they clearly knew about it how did they how convince did they... them to yeah i mean it? as you said maybe if they get a little drunk at a party and they feel the need to brag to some random or maybe i don't know when, when the when magical the son intervenes. reaches uh, adolescence he will have a major fallout with his dad I yeah, don't know, rebellious teenage cliche i'm thinking they maybe control it the same way they control uh, when an underage wizard performs magic like there's an instant the trace yeah it's like a trace yeah I think maybe that's maybe. how they could control it. And then yeah. the ministry could intervene immediately and just erase the memory of, the of person whatever occurred. Yeah. And I would then like they to, would get lectured. I would like to read the book on the ethics of surveillance in the magical world. Yeah. yeah. There's Write so it. much gray area there. I know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And the next question, we are back to the fangirling over Gilderoy. <laughs> is it obnoxious or is it endearing the fact that Molly has this fangirl crush on Gilderoy? Does it say something of uh, maybe a bit of wariness towards Arthur or is it, is it just a harmless fancy with no uh, connection to real life attachments whatsoever? Well, we've kind of gone into this in the intro a bit, but uh, I guess expanding into what it means relating to Arthur... <laughs> no offense, Arthur. I don't think it's just a fancy. I don't think there's More too much to it. to it. Yeah, Yeah, probably. Yeah, but I think this fancy or fancy actually stems from something more because... As I said, I think it's just that she needs a little thrill in her life, and although she loves her ha her family and she loves Arthur, uh, the spark and the magic is gone, and she needs something <laughs> to make her feel young again, and you know oh, something like that. And oh, this, and this is yeah, and this automatically is stems from a deeper yeah. problem. I no. guess, well, the boys are about to steal the flying car, so she'll get all the thrills <laughs> soon. <laughs> That's the, the bad kind of thrill. Yeah, That's I exactly know. what I mean, because she has to deal with all the this crap on a, yeah. on a regular day. So, yeah. so I, I have to say something. Um, 
uh, in uh, which is like extra points, extra brownie points for Slytherin women. <laughs> I I'm sure it doesn't specifically say in the book, but I'm sure Narcissa or Bellatrix, for that matter, were she out of jail, <laughs> where you know they are not fangirling over Gilderoy. Point, yeah. yeah, I couldn't yeah. imagine them yeah. fangirling yeah. over. Yeah, cool. I can imagine them seeing. <laughs> I can imagine them, and probably most of the teachers at Hogwarts as well, seeing past Gilderoy's. Right? I mean, McGonagall would never. And McGonagall over. She would was never, never yeah. into Gilderoy. Yeah. And, I, I and remember. She's not yet, I remember so. a scene later in the book. Spoiler, uh, when uh, McGonagall says, "Oh." Well, you're the teacher uh, against <laughs> yeah, the, uh, who teaches defense against the dark arts. You don't you, why don't you help. go and uh, yeah. see what's with the Chamber of Secrets? She what? literally did not care if he died there yeah. at that point. Yeah, yeah. Like, just go. You wanted this. <laughs> Maybe it would be good material for your next book. And this says something about... That now I'm thinking about... Uh, I'm comparing Molly and Molly's reaction to McGonagall's reaction and to, uh, I think, mm, mm, uh, Sprout and uh, what what other uh, female uh, hooch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, I think none of them fangirled, ever fangirled about uh, Gilderoy. And now this, this makes me... I wonder what's wrong with Molly. Exactly. Well, not Mar what's wrong with Molly, but like it makes me... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Consider not not what necessarily what I would think about her, but what the book is trying, trying to, to tell you is is the book trying to tell us that Molly is not as uh, smart and no, cultured no, no. to. No, I don't want to go there. I I really think it's it's meant to either make Molly more endearing or to make the usual real life housewives who do this more palatable to us because hey if Molly does it <laughs> or, yeah but why just housewife that this, this is my problem oh, why yeah, why I'm just sorry, Molly who, who yeah. is the housewife has this reaction but McGonagall who's a uh, I, I don't know, wanna tie it to, to the IQ because I really don't think Molly is uh, no I don't think Molly is stupid yeah. but I'm just saying that this is the idea you get because and it, it's naive to presume that we do what we do and like who we like uh, just related to our level of intelligence you know I would it's also think an emotional undercurrent to everything and there's also do. some sort of social pressure maybe Madame uh, Hooch or Madame Sprout or Madame Palfrey for that would matter which, which would have fancied him if they weren't part of such a community of, if, they, uh, if they weren't gay in my head canon, they're, they're, they're in a loving relationship. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry, that would be possible. There's this theory, I don't know if you know it, no. that uh, uh, Madame Switch and Madame Sprout, they're, uh, they're uh, gay oh. and in a loving relationship, and I, I prefer to believe that this is true. <laughs> I, yeah, I, 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 can, I can totally see that, but I'm just saying that uh, maybe being in an entourage that uh, uh, completely dismisses Gilderoy Lockhart as a good wizard, uh, you can't actually take him seriously. Well, McGonagall seems to do that regularly. I think permanently raised eyebrows. Even the male... Teachers. I think Why did they invite him to Hogwarts to teach then? If no Maybe one they had him. no other option. I'm pretty oh sure this is oh the, they had no other option. I'm pretty Couldn't sure. Dumbledore do no, it? no, 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 no. I think I think they did have other options. I think Snape. that Dumbledore. Me, 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 pick me, pick me. <laughs> I think that Dumbledore knew that the position was cursed, and uh, he wanted someone that could be harmless. <laughs> he wanted to get rid of him. He wanted <laughs> to know how. No, I think he wanted someone harmless. That uh, if the position was cursed, wouldn't worsen whatever was happening that year at Hogwarts. And he can't name Snape because we, we still need him, you know? Snape can only be named on this position in his final year. Of course. <laughs> I mean, we but have... I don't think that's the case because then we we have uh, Lupin, we have Moody. So I just think that... Let's, let's, let's take it year by year. So Dumbledore <laughs> knows that the position for Professor for Defense Against the Dark Arts is cursed. Mm -hmm. In the first year he, sees, he says, oh, this, this is malarkey. I'm just going to hire someone that's good. So he hires uh, 
Professor Quirrell. Then Professor Quirrell turns out to be, oh, actually, <laughs> Voldemort. <laughs> so, okay, that was bad. Okay, so let's, may, maybe the position is cursed, so let's get somebody who's harmless. Uh, so maybe Gilderoy Lockhart, because there's a huge fraud. He's a huge fraud, and everybody knows that he's a huge fraud in the academic uh, community. Yeah. And uh, maybe he won't do anything bad. And then, ter- then it turns out that Gilderoy Lockhart was He's stupid. <laughs> not, no, he wasn't stupid. He was very good at one specific yeah, thing: I mean... <laughs> memory yeah. charms, which he used to bewitch people and make them forget their uh, adventures, so he can take them. And then he was like, "Okay, fine." Uh, Lockhart was incompetent in this. T- the the students did not learn anything from him, so I'm gonna hire an actual competent teacher, uh, in Lupin. Lupin. Yes. But then everybody somehow finds out that Lupin is a werewolf, so that's not good anymore. Cough, Snape. Cough. <laughs> so let's fire uh, Lupin, and then after Lupin, oh, I, I guess I'm gonna go with Moody. Uh, which I have but my guess what? I have my doubts about Alistair Moody's uh, sanity, but I guess he's a good teacher and his unorthodox methods might prove useful in these times. But guess what? <laughs> Alistair Moody is a Moody, <laughs> and so on and so forth. Then it comes to Snape, and then after Snape, I don't even know who. But was. I don't think Dumbledore named Snape. Oh. Uh, yes, he did. He did. He did. He did name Snape yeah, did. in the last year. Really? Wasn't yeah. he appointed? Oh no! Well, no he was he appointed was... as headmaster yeah. after yes. the yeah, yeah. change of regime. But who, I think who the, was uh... the the Carol? The Carols, yeah, yeah and it Carols. wasn't Defense Against the Dark Arts. It was Dark Arts. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So the position was cursed right up until it was changed. Yeah. I don't even remember when this where this conversation started from at this point. Uh, I, yeah, why did he pick Lockhart? Yeah, okay. Well, and yeah. why did, if the, the Hogwarts community actually knew that Hogwarts, yeah, I think Lockhart knew. was I a think hack? Knew. I think it's funny that just like in real life academia, uh, his, uh, you know, crushing self-confidence, uh, Gilderoy Lockhart is like the only one who is not suffering from imposter syndrome, yeah. you know? It's like the biggest yeah. fraud. I've, I've had professors like that. Oh, God. I've had professors like that who I really respected going in. And then I was like, oh, that they're mm. not really that good. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not as bad as Lockhart, like seeing other people's work. And yeah, yeah. Let's move on to the last question. Yes, just one more. Mr. Weasley seems giddy upon hearing that Lucius Malfoy is getting rid of his blacklisted stuff. Shouldn't he be disappointed that there won't be stuff left to find upon a home raid? It seems like he's just so content that he determined Lucius to be on the defensive. It's almost something like a twisted admiration about this, as if he knows that he's not normally worthy of Lucius's attention, but hey, he managed to have some minor impact on his life. Could this be like an internalized inferiority complex or what? This is a very good point. I think, yes, it is an internalized yeah. inferiority complex. I think uh, we, uh, Mr. Weasley is happy to have had Lucius Malfoy on the defensive uh, after he passed the law, but I also think uh, that he's hoping that he doesn't get rid of everything before he goes on a raid to his house. Yeah. But he's also trying to be cautious because of what Molly said which was a fair point, don't uh, bite off more than you can chew. I think he really feels this inferiority complex so much that for him even the the, the smallest victory is... In the smallest crap of a Yeah, because let's think about is. all of the moments uh, and I'm sure that uh, when they go to work and they meet, this is the same thing. Uh, every time they meet, uh, somehow uh, Lucius humiliates uh, him. Exactly, yeah. he he does something something to humiliate him, and I think these things just gathered and gathered, and that's why he's 
so giddy. Yeah, but just because it's a small small victory basically. But it's not. That's my it's point. It's not. It's not. Yeah. Because if I were to to accumulate that sort of resentment towards someone, um, I would just feel unhappy to hear that they got rid of the incriminating stuff. You know. I think this the victory is just oh I slightly bothered Lucius and he had to take this trip to Borgen and Berth just to. Yay. <laughs> Yeah. Yay. He's yeah. laughing now, Lucius. <laughs> <laughs> you have to walk a little. <laughs> Which is very sad. Uh, yes, it is. I mean, it's sad that maybe deep down he actually believes that he's below them, beneath them. Somehow. I'm sh- pretty sure he, as, at least at some points, he does. I'm pretty sure he's been mocked so much <laughs> that at this point he's internalizing it. My cat is being extra cute. Yes, <laughs> everyone is. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So. Why uh, are we talking about Lucius Malfoy and not your cat? When there's this gorgeous cat here, yeah. But he's um, so quiet. So. Yeah. He is respectful and mindful of our podcast. And of Harry Potter. <laughs> Maybe he knows of Harry Potter. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure he does because I've watched movies and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's McGonagall listening. <laughs> actually. Okay. Okay. So thank you all for listening. And That's a good point to end. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, see you all next time. Bye. Yes. Bye. Melting Potter podcast is hosted by Andrea Voicu, Bogdan Minuts, and Miriam Chipodariu. Our producer is Miriam Chipodariu. Music and sound editing by Bogdan Minuts. And social media by Andrea Voicu. We're on Facebook at Melting Potter, on Instagram at Melting underscore Potter underscore podcast, and you can email us at meltingpotterpodcast at gmail.com. If you have thoughts, comments, feedback, or just want to say hi, you know where to find us. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. Okay, thanks. Bye. Awkward. So... Awkward. So... so, so awkward. So... We're part of the problem.